Gospels of Christmas, I'm looking at uh, some of the things really beyond uh, the obvious, but what to maybe some deeper meaning that as we go through this season that we would remember and, and uh, really be able to see. And the question's really been, well, what, what do you see? And uh, the question today is, what else do you see? What's another thing that uh, comes into play in this season? It may not necessarily, well, I guess it could be a symbol, uh, but this is the, the concluding thought that I had for this series is the cost. Don't we all see the cost of Christmas? There's, you know, all of us are going to, you know, we may dole out some more moolah in the next couple of days. Uh, most of us or many of us will at least uh, be paying come January. There'll be some bills coming in and the cost will be very clear at that time. But for most of us, we've already put some cost out. Uh, Let me tell you a couple of stories from the Riley household. Uh, One Christmas, Trina and I, we had decided that we're going to go low on Christmas. You know, we made one of those wonderfully disciplined decisions and commitments. We'd come together. Trina and I had this little family powwow, and we established this workable, flexible little Christmas budget. Have you ever done that? And uh, we said, uh, okay, you usually do that, don't you, after a blow-up Christmas the year before. And uh, if you're like me, I'm always making notes about, okay, this Christmas or this Christmas Eve service next year, we'll do this differently or whatever. Well, I think it was one of those where I said, you know, we're going to really cut back next year. So I said to Trina, I said, honey, we're going we're gonna to cut back this year. So we're going to do one present, one, 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 one. You get me one, I get you one. And it can't be over such and such. And so we said, okay shook hands, kissed, and said, that's good. Well, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I got wind that she decided to go a little further than one. And I got to tell you, I am not going to be the husband that only does one for one when she's doing more than one. And so, you know, I don't know about you, but you got to get a little sneaky with this because I didn't really know overtly that it happened. I just heard it through the grapevine. But pretty soon I started seeing this present under the tree that said, Sam. And then I said, oh, okay, well, this is what I'll do. So I got a couple of gifts and Sally. And then then over time I saw a couple more that said, Sam. You ever done that? Where the, the, the spirit of Christmas and love just kind of overtakes you. You planned and you determined, but it doesn't always happen. And the stash stuff, you get real sly, and you do crazy things like that. We, we did that one year. And I have to tell you, is that I understand, listen, I am not a bah humbugger. Christmas cost. The whole business of exchanging gifts, doing stocking stuffers, buying cards, getting a tree. Listen, there is going to be some currency that is going to come out of your pocket. I mean, even if you said, okay, we're going to really cheapskate it this year, and we're just going to do popcorn decorate, you still got to buy the popcorn. There's money coming out. But I remember that Christmas, I was sitting there watching Sally open up her gifts, and, uh, and I remembered, I go, man, that's, that's really sweet. That she, the joy in her eyes as she got to open some of those surprise gifts, I just thought, wow. It was worth it. It was worth it. I didn't humbug it or anything. I I winced a little bit when the bills came in the next month. But 
I just made a note then that next year would be just a little bit different. We'd go back to the old system. Let me give you a second story. It was probably, I'm going to guesstimate 15 years ago or so, the boys were younger. They were, I think one was preteen and one was just into his teenage years and um, a wonderful family in the church. Uh, probably a year or two earlier had given us, right about December time, had given us, uh, I think it was maybe it was May, it doesn't matter when, but they gave us this black cat as a gift. And it was really Jamie's, our youngest son's, and Trina's. Um, and just don't be offended or anything and boo and hiss. But I'm not a big cat guy. So I wasn't real excited about this cat, but they said, well, this is what we'll do. We'll let Dad, we'll make him, we'll bring him into it, so we'll let him name him. So it was a black cat, so I named it Ebony. And <clears throat> interestingly enough, being the cat disliker that I was, guess who the cat really started taking to? <laughs> so this, this little fur ball is sitting on my lap all the time whenever I'd come home. And so I kind of, a little bit, sort of, maybe just a smidge, started liking it. Well, a couple years later... Ebony was outside, and, um, and all of a sudden we heard this right out front. I mean, it was loud. It was quick and caught my attention. I thought, wow, that sounds serious. So I went out there, and just as I opened the door, the car had been taken off. And um, <clears throat> closed the door and said, okay, good, nothing happened. And um, a few minutes later, though, I heard this kind, of this kind of screaming and wailing and crying and meowing outside of our back sliding door to our backyard. And I went out there, and there was little Ebony sitting there on the step. And as I picked him up and got him in the light, I could tell very quickly that he was dazed and probably in shock. And then as I got him inside, I set him up on the counter, and his right leg was just hanging there. And um, so I'm thinking, this is pretty serious, obviously. And quickly we realized that the car that screeched to a halt and tried to stop was trying to avoid the cat and actually ended up hitting Ebony. So I realized, okay, man, we got, you know, little kids, they're, they're boys, so they're not really into crying, but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty sad. What are we going to do? And so Trina and I take this little cat to the vet. Take him there. He's got to stay overnight. We get the news the next morning. Well, you got a couple of options here, Mr. Riley. Number one, we can try and fix it, no guarantees, you know, and piece the leg back together and do all this. And uh, Bill will be about $3,200. Other option, please. And they said, well, another option is is that uh, uh, we can, uh, you know, we can amputate. Uh, bill for that, oh, roughly $717. Other options, like, um, you know, euthanize. I mean, what would that cost? You know, oh, a couple hundred bucks, you know, maybe. So all of these options are on the table. And I know which one is not going to get so I go home and talk to the boys. We have this little family powwow again. And and, uh, and I say, you know something, guys? I think that we just want to put every day out. This is, this is not good. And all of a sudden, I look around these boys. And the chin is quivering. The chin is falling. And, and I go, and they go, well, what, what else can we do? And I go, well, we can, you know, we can have his leg removed. That'll be $1,700. And I see that this is not going to be a, this isn't going the way that I was hoping. So I, I did the dad thing. I'm not cheap, but I'm frugal. And so I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose this here really quick. So I said, listen, kids, I'll tell you what. Now, just so you know, it's Christmas time. 
This was a couple weeks before Christmas. I said, if we, if we amputate his leg, we never spend $1,700 for Christmas. So if, 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 if we amputate his leg, you know, you can have Christmas. But if we have to, if you want Ebby, and we amputate his leg, there's no Christmas. Christmas is off. No gift, nothing. That's your gift. And again, there's little children quivering, children crying. We want Ebby! <laughs> going... Oh, I thought, no, they wouldn't do that. I love Christmas. I thought they'd love Christmas. Inside, I'm thinking, cats are a dime a dozen. I could, I, no, I'm sorry. Listen, forgive me now. Okay, forgive me now. I told you I love Debbie, but uh, um, I, I just thought, you know, I could walk, I could walk through our neighborhood and find a black cat. <laughs> They're out there, just look. And so... But I realized I wasn't going to win this one. So finally I acquiesced. I said, okay, we'll get Ebony's leg uh, amputated. So I forgot to tell first service this, but uh, Ebony then became Ebony Tripod Riley. And, um, and we spent all of this money on this black cat. Uh, nice thing is he stuck around for about 15 years and just died a little over a year ago. But you know what I learned from that? I learned that love can make these pretty crazy things. And I ended up just paying for it. And, 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 and yes, guess what? I really broke down. It still had a nice Christmas. Love will make you do crazy things. But love will also cost you greatly. And I think there's some costs of Christmas that I want to remind us of today is our last symptom. If you want, I want us to just quickly look at Luke chapter 2, at really the, the Christmas story. They call it the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says this, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Like I said last week, Never forget that the Christmas story is tethered very closely to, his, to history. There's a great history. It isn't once upon a time. It is, and this happened in this point in time in history. Verse 4, And Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David. He was to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him, not married, engaged, but was pregnant. Now, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her first son, a firstborn son, who was Jesus. It says she wrapped him in, snugly in cloth. Some of your, 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 your translations will say swaddling clothes. Some will say others. Uh, most scholars will say that that is really, uh, that these are strips that they would have probably potentially used for burial cloths during this process of embalming and preparing a body for burial. And there's just a wonderful little picture here, powerful, almost a prophetic statement that you can highlight, although it isn't underscored in the text. That Jesus comes, and what do they do? They wrap him, what? In burial, embalming cloths. Why is that? Well, it's a prophetic picture of looking forward of what Jesus came to do. But there's a really important thing here. 
See, Jesus' death didn't interrupt his mission. It simply fulfilled his mission to come and die as a ransom for many. See, if you look at Buddha, if you look at uh, uh, the teacher Plato, if you look at Confucius, if you look at all of these world religious leaders, when they died, their mission died. When Jesus died, his mission was completely and fully fulfilled. So it's to be registered among with Mary, who was engaged with him to be pregnant, wrapped him because there was no room for them at the end. Now in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields. They were keeping watch at night over their flocks. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I love it. Back then, before then, since then, to you, to us, into the future. Said, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news, good news for all the people today. This is the good news. The Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth, lying in a feeding trough. The cost of Christmas cost. Did the first advent, did the first Christmas cost Joseph anything? Think with me. As some of us have seen Christmas pageants and Christmas plays. Some of us have had our kids in them and gone to see family members in them. Have you ever noticed how Joseph, the dude is never a primary player. I mean, he's the guy that's just usually kind of kind of holding the donkey, you know, holding them, leading them in. And every once in a while, he get one, maybe a couple of lines. But at best, he's a two-bit player. He is not the focal point. It really probably as it should be. So, so what, did, what did the first Christmas cost Joseph? Think about it. This is this young man full of dreams, aspirations. He is anticipating the final steps and the movement toward marriage to this young, beautiful bride. She's pristine. She's virginal. She's perfect. And suddenly, out of nowhere, he gets the news. She's pregnant. Imagine the crushing blow and the emotions flooding the soul of a young man finds that out. I mean, intellectually, his, his bride-to-be comes and says, Joseph, I really got some hard news for you. I'm pregnant. But, 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 but! It's by the Holy Spirit. Can't you just imagine Joseph going, yeah, yeah, right, let's get real, girl. The Holy Spirit. So intellectually, this would have been, a, this would have been tough for how about emotionally, the pain, the heartbreak, the anger, the disappointment? The wondering, what's going to happen? Why would she? How could she? Why did she? And then the pride. The days go by, the weeks go by, the months go by. What's everybody going to think of me, her, us? To see God in Matthew 1. Scripture's there on your notes. In Matthew 1, God comes to Joseph in this says, He says, you marry her. This is of me. This is of God. And after he wakes up, soon God, he's, they're led to go to Bethlehem to, to register for this census and to pay their taxes. Hear me. See beyond just the, the summons of a king, but it's really the summons of a greater king in heaven. 
This is the this is the reality of a prophetic word of God's word being enacted and being spoken and then being lived out in his life. This is not simply the summons of an earthly king, but this is about eternal destiny coming forth and being worked out in Joseph's life and ultimately in the life of humanity because this baby is going to be born. The shepherds are going to come. Herod's nervous. This king Herod is nervous. He's insecure, and he's going to lead the slaughter of baby boys two years and under because he wants to destroy this king that has been prophesied about for centuries. So Joseph gets wind of this. This decree has gone out from Herod, and what takes place? Joseph has another dream, and it says, flee this area, head to Egypt, so that you can be saved. It's not just Herod's anger. It's God's word. It's the prophecy of the prophet spoken hundreds of years earlier being fulfilled, leading and guiding them, directing them. They're in Egypt. Herod dies. And another um, another dream comes to Joseph. And this time, the, the speaker in the dream, the dream says, go back to Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to fulfill what the prophets have spoken through the years. Go back there. That's where you're going to raise your son. That's where they set up a carpenter. Now, can, can you think for a moment? We're talking about the cost. Joseph is this young man. He's getting all these dreams and these revelations from God Almighty. Can't you just see this young man thinking, first, my wife, she's impregnated. What's this all about? What's taking place? Go here, move there, get up, flee here, go back to there. There's interruptions, there's difficulties. There's things going on that he just frankly can't understand. This is a young man, probably barely into his 20s, maybe mid-20s at the latest. Can't you see him saying things like this? What about my desires? What about my dreams? What about my rights? I got this guy who's jacking me all around. I got this woman who's done this, has happened to her. What about me? Let me remind us about the Christmas that like Joseph, your life, your agenda will always be affected by the eternal word of God. And when you become involved in the life of Jesus, when you receive the Savior of the world into your life, there will be moves in your life that frankly were not part of your original plan. You know what? They won't even make sense. time comes for each one of us where we become involved in the Christmas story at a very personal level and where our life will be caught up in living out what God is doing in us and through us. I, I, I don't want to re, repeat all my life tonight, I mean this morning, but you know, you've heard so many parts of it if you've been here at Creekside for a while. You know, growing up, I, it didn't make sense. Nothing in my life made sense until I was about 18 years old. But now, 30, 40, 50 years later, as I, as I started to turn 23 and I gave my life to Jesus and fully committed and submitted to him, I began to look back and I was able to connect some significant docs to understand that while there was a lot of stuff taking place that didn't make sense for a young boy growing up as I become a man, and instead of wondering why this, how come that, why there, what's this, the, the, dots, the dots begin to get and I begin to see God's imprint upon my life so that he could move 
me. He could work in me. He could do within me what he wanted to do so that his sovereign purposes could be worked out. See, until I was 27 years old, there's not a chance in the world that I ever thought I'd be doing what I'm doing today right here. And some of you can do the same thing. Some of you that know Jesus, you've walked with Jesus for a while, your life has got a lot of mess. And you wonder, when is this going to change? How come this is happening? What can I do? Finally, now that you've walked with Christ for a while, you can go, that's where I know now. This is what Jesus is doing. Some of those things are things that would never have been choosing. Some of them, possibly. I mean, consider the person you marry. Think how God sovereignly orchestrated your lives coming together. I mean, you couldn't have come together anyway outside of the work of God. I mean, if you knew the story of how Trina and I got together, I mean, it's a, it's, it's. I, I used to take her mother's and her best friend's mother's groceries out at a grocery store, and I dated her best friend for a year and a half, and then she dumped me. And then Trina grabbed me on the rebound. And uh, actually, we were just really good friends. But it's just a crazy story. You, you, you wouldn't believe it if, if, if you heard all the nuances to it. Only God brought us together. Uh, and each one of us then had to make the arranged The place you live and the place that you work. I could have never imagined Martina from this little boy in Portland, Oregon. Are you kidding me? And here I am being you look at your job. You look at your place. How in the world did I get to where I am? And you begin to see the sovereign touch and handprint of God all over it. Where all you can say is, whew, only God. See, there was a cost to Joseph. And you know what the price was that he paid? Over time, besides all the shuffling, the plans interrupted, having to deal with everything that took place, the price that he ultimately played was simply that of obedience to God's word. And it's the same for you and I today. See, we're called to live and to raise our families and to live our life in a, full, in a totally different culture. I mean, it's, it's just totally different. Some of us, you may experience some ridicule from neighbors or from friends or from family or from co-workers because you live for Jesus. And I'm not talking about, you know, you sit at the water cooler and, you know, preach, preach at people. But, I mean, just that they know that you don't do some of the things. You don't talk some of the ways they talk. And, and you live differently. You raise your family differently. But I want you to hear this. That's a little bit of a cost to you, too. But that cost, the dividends, will always pay on the back end of it. And some of you may feel like you're just simply a two-bit player just kind of pulling the donkey around. But if that's, got, got, if that's what God has you doing, give your best to it. Because you don't know that pulling that donkey isn't going to lead to something bigger down the road. Scripture says this, don't despise the day of small things. Be obedient. Do what God wants you to do. And do it with a great heart because it will always work out for you. That's what Joseph learned. You hardly ever read about him the rest of the scripture, except that he was the earthly father, the stepfather of the saint of the world. Mary. Did, did, the, did the first advent, did that first Christmas cost Mary? Think about it. She's probably anywhere from 14 to 18. 
She's a young Jewish girl. Their dream at that time, see, the, the whole nation of Israel had been, had been yearning and praying and waiting and hoping, asking for and believing for Yeshua, the, the Messiah, to come and to save them. And every girl would have dreamed of having a Messiah come and birth in them and through them. Yeah, but they sure didn't know how it was going to happen, though. But she wanted to really contribute to the holy seed of Israel by bringing forth and giving birth to a son. But an angel appears to her. And you've got to understand this. When these angels come, it's almost always accompanied with the word fear. An angel appeared and fear came. So she's got this moment of fear, this holy fear that's, that's taken over because she's unable to comprehend and understand what's taking place. And all of a sudden, this angelic being begins to talk to her. And somewhere, some of the things, you read it in Luke 1, everything that this angel speaks to her, and somehow this moment goes from fearful to fear, holy, understandable, to intelligible. And at one point, the angel says to her, Mary, you are full of grace. Not that she's so good, but that she was experiencing the grace and the favor of God in this situation, at that moment. And it says, God, holy Lord. Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And that's how she becomes pregnant. And by this time, as she's listening to this, what is Mary saying? I love this. Luke 1.37, she says, Let it be unto me according to the She's simply saying, What had happened to me? I'm ready. I'm a candidate. Let it flow. So from there, after this and from there on, though, in Mary's life, there's going to be this spiritual and physical stretching in her life from that moment on. And so from this announcement, she goes to see Elizabeth, who's six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And as soon as she goes in to see Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, as they greet, Elizabeth gives her this powerful greeting, this prophetic word that says, what is in you is the holy abyss. And so she gets encouraged in that environment for three months. And all this miraculous has taken place in her. You've got to imagine the joy these two pregnant women are sharing together. Yet as that three months begins to wind down, you've got to know there's personal thoughts, personal dealings, difficult issues, feelings of ambivalence that she has to face now as she gets ready to go home. Did, did, did this cost Mary anything? Well, think about it. As she walks back three months pregnant, she probably receives sly looks. There's probably morsels of gossip that are going around the town's people. People know they're not married yet. The issues of rejection. There are jeers. What are you doing? There's questioning. And then for her, there's unknown fear about the future of her and her baby. What's going to take place? And then this little young bride who's been a virgin, who's been pure, who's experiencing the grace of God. She's thinking, I can imagine during the walk, how am I going to tell my friend? How can I break the news? And you've got to know that she's probably seen the deep pain and discipline that's going to be etched across Joseph's face. She's going to know that some of his hopes and his dreams are going to be when she tells him the news of the pregnancy. She doesn't know what her 
worse, there's nothing she can do about it. To hope, to pray, except believe that just God is in it. So she tells us, Scripture tells us, he decides not to put her away, but he receives her, he takes her in, and they ultimately get married, have relationships, and then they have relations, and then they have their own children together. To get this, eight days after Jesus was born, they go to the temple. You know, we have a, and they dedicate Jesus at the temple when he's eight days old. You know, we have dedications here, and they're pretty sweet and nice, but she takes Jesus, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple. And there's this man there and this woman, these two people, they've been, it says they've been waiting for years for the consolation of Israel, the hope of the Messiah to come. And this guy's name is Simeon. He's an old man. And they go to the temple, and they're dedicating Jesus. And Simeon sees him. He walks over, and he says, let me hold the child. He picks up the child. And we see in the Scripture, he says, now I know I can die because this is Listen to what he says, a mama man. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother, Mary, indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be. <laughs> Moms, you can understand those words. Those don't sound very good. You know the words that would have been highlighted in her mind, in her heart, in her soul. Opposed. He's going to be opposed. Guess what? There's going to be a sword that's going to pierce your very soul. No, it's not going to pierce your body. It's going to go to the deep recesses of your emotions, that place where you feel everything deep. Hear me, loved ones. Those are not comforting words for a mom. And she's got to take these words now for 33 years, and she's got to live with them, etched in her mind, seeping into her soul. And she's got to wonder, what does all that mean? And then one day she's standing before this cross. And she sees her son, who's been beaten, bloody, bruised, broken, about to die. And she's looking up there. And I wonder if it wasn't at the very time when the soldier pierces his side with a sword that these words, this prophetic proclamation, does come back to her literally. What is true about Mary, what is true about Joseph, is true about you and me. When the life of Jesus is birthed in you, when you receive Christ, you'll know it, you'll sense it, you'll feel the, the holiness of it, the power of it, the purity in it, the right and wonderful things that come about, because you'll begin to see changes and transformation take place in your life that you never dreamed possible, you ever imagined could literally happen. And it will be wonderful, and there'll be great joy, and there'll be encouragement in places and gatherings like this. But then you'll go out, and you'll have to live amongst people who will look at you, and they'll go, they'll question you. Huh? Are you crazy? Do you think God's living in you? 
wow, you've really changed, and I don't think it's for the better. You don't like to do the things that we used to do. You don't like to talk about the things we used to talk about. And pretty soon there's this glow of rain which will begin to heal as you radiate the light of Christ around you. People will begin to look down upon you. And man, is this really worth it? But you'll begin to understand that this new life that is taking shape in you called the life of Christ and His Spirit is only taking shape in you. question the origin of it, the, the, the veracity of the experience of it. What are they on anyway? They may begin to move away from it. You're just a little bit too fanatical. But you'll know. You'll know. You'll understand that the work of God is taking place. It cost Mary it's okay, we'll cost you. Did the first Advent, did the first Christmas, Advent means arrival. Did the first Advent, did the first arrival, did the first coming cost God? I think so. How about the Father? No doubt it cost Father God. Scripture says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever would believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. But before they could believe and not perish, he had to give. He gave his Son. Listen, hear me. Remember, some of us, it's, hard, it's almost incomprehensible, but God has always been, always will be. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. So somewhere in the corridors of, of eternal history, the triune Godhead comes together, and they come up with this plan. What are we going to do when mankind fails and sin overtakes their life, and they can't fix it? And you can almost see the sin of God from the sun. on that job. None of us, you don't understand. It's gruesome. It's going to be brutal. You're going to leave the glories of heaven to go to earth. Send me. So God takes his only begotten son that he loves and he sends him down. And his son takes on the sins of the world and humanity upon himself as the perfect father, as we sung about. Literally, heaven had to look away because it couldn't experience the presence of sin and failure in our lives. But Son, the Father said, Son, I'm going to send you on that rescue mission. Yeah, I think it cost the Father. The only time that he's ever been separated from his Son was when he was on the cross taking on your sin. My sin. Sin of the world. And there was ultimate separation from this eternal community. How about the Holy Spirit? That part of the God. There's some cost for him. See, he now lives within the lives of fallen people. He has emotions, feelings. There's a cost to him as the third person of the Godhead. See, in the Old Testament, it talks about the Holy Spirit who fell upon, he came upon, he equipped, but he never dealt with within people. With the coming of the first advent of Jesus Christ, as he ascended 
Jesus said in, John, in the Gospel of John 17, I must leave so that the Holy Spirit, the comfort can come to you. And now the Holy Spirit comes to us to live within us when we call upon and receive Jesus. And so he experiences things. First thing he experiences from most people is rejection because most people, that's really what they're rejecting. Before they reject Jesus, they're really rejecting the Holy Spirit who's prompting them and working in them. For those of us who call upon Jesus and live with this indwelling spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says that we can quench the life of the spirit. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's in the context of not responding to that small voice. Those promptings and those leadings where he says, do this, don't do that, go here, don't go there, say this to that person, don't, don't be that way to that person. See, when we don't respond to those little inner voice, that inner voice and those leadings and promptings, that's called quenching the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says this, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You know what it's like to grieve. Sad, pride. And these are all emotions that it says the Spirit of God can feel. This is in the context. How do you grieve the Spirit? You grieve Him because you're won't deal with your anger. You won't deal with your bitterness. You have a lack of forgiveness. There's no compassionate bone in your body that is looking to become compassionate and grow in that to the people around you. But let me make this really practical. And don't think worse of me because I'm just a wonderful sinner like all of you, probably better than most. But uh, this Thursday morning I was meeting with a brother, a friend, uh, for coffee, and it was early, and it was dark, and I had a cash, I had to go by the Chase ATM up here, and so it was really dark, and uh, I just pulled up, left my lights on, and pulled up right next to the curb so I could just quickly access the ATM, and as I was getting out of my car, there was another car that came up right in front of me, headlights on, the same thing, we just kind of parked, just a couple of feet apart, and uh, I went to the outside one, he went to the inside one, and I uh, got my couple of bucks out, and back into my car and wasn't really looking around. I didn't see anything or anybody. I got in my car and excuse me because this person was so close to me and I had to back up just a little bit. So I put the car in reverse and all of a sudden I hear this guy goes hey you idiot what are you doing? And he's yelling and yelling and I turn around and I kind of stop on the brakes and put it in park again and this guy comes around the car and he's yelling at me and I and now here's where a bad pastor comes in. I was breaking bad because to tell you the truth, what I really wanted to do, because most of you know I'm kind of competitive and I just I don't treat people like that, but it makes me mad when they do, and especially when they treat me like that. So what I really wanted to do is I wanted to get out and I just, you know, I just wanted to beat them up. <laughs> and I was pretty sure I could, but even if I couldn't, it would have been fun trying. And so, so I, I got... I, I, I had this I had this moment where inside I wanted to give him a piece of my mind and a couple of other pieces of me and I was gonna get out, I was gonna get out, I was gonna give, I was gonna And then I started thinking. That wouldn't be nice. Because see, what what I realized is that, you know, I, I never saw him. And, and, you know, when someone walks, see, this is my first thought was, you're calling me an idiot? Listen, you saw me get into my car, the lights are on. Why would you walk behind me and you see this car right in front of me? I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to just go through all of this if I wasn't going to hit him. 
But I just felt like the Lord say, you know, you're, you're beyond this now. Don't grieve me. You didn't say, I didn't hear him say this, but I knew as I looked back, I said, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I sure don't want to quench him working in me. So this is what I did. And this took a lot of the spiritual power. I rolled down the window, I looked at him, and as I'm rolling down the window, he goes, are you blind? Didn't you see me? And in this nanosecond, what do I want to say? By the time the window got down, I hadn't said anything. He was looking at me. mumbling and walking away. You know, it's, it's really hard to argue with somebody and get mad and stay mad at somebody who doesn't get mad back. Now hear me, I look like I'm really good, but are you, I, I'm serious, my first thought, get out, stifle this stuff. But, because of the Holy Spirit, I believe that's the only reason I can make the right decision. And can I tell you something? See, because, because Jesus came, the cost for him was we know. But the Holy Spirit, the cost for him is every day we can hurt him by grieving him, by quenching his spirit, because we react and respond and don't do what he calls us to do. So there was a cost for that Holy Spirit back then. Really How about the Son Jesus? Did it cost him? Absolutely. We all know that. He gave up as he came. He didn't come to live and die. He came to live and die the most painful death to give his life as a sacrifice to the Father for humanity. He laid his life down so you and me could pick ours up. That was the focus of the first advent, the first arrival, the first coming. Matthew 1, 19 through 21 simply says that he is Emmanuel, God with us, who comes to show us the exact joy and look and power of who God is so that we wouldn't be afraid of him and run from him and not be willing to turn to him. He comes and he shows us God. But he comes in this very casual, very humble setting. He came out of heaven to bring us some heaven to this earth so that ultimately as he gave his life, now we can experience eternal life in heaven with him. What do you mean he come to give us heaven on earth? you realize that when I left that morning, how bad I would have felt if I would have given that guy and told him what I really felt? Or worse yet, we have all these law enforcement guys. Can you imagine if one of them had to come and pull me off him or pull him off me? You know, that wouldn't be good. I wouldn't feel good. You know, Martinez Ledger, uh, Pastor Gill busted for, you know, getting beat up by a guy that he attacked. You know, it's, it's not, it's just not good publicity. And it would not make me feel good. But because I did the right thing, I could walk away and I go, yeah, I feel a lot better. But I got a little bit of heaven that morning. And see, when you walk with Jesus and he stretches you, that's what he wants to do. But I don't want to leave today. I don't want us to leave with this, this little baby in the manger. Even this man, God, that died on the cross, did you know there's a second Christmas coming? Well, let me read you about it. Revelation chapter 19. There is a second arrival. There is a second coming. This Jesus whom we celebrate is going to come again. 
Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 says this, Then I saw the heavens open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. That's Jesus, because he's faithful, he's true. You can trust him, he'll be there. And in righteousness, he judges and he makes war. Wow, it's a lot different than the first time. His eyes are like a fiery flame in his head. There were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knows except him. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him on a white horse wearing pure white linen. Whoa. Get this, loved ones. He's gonna, the heavens are going to open up, and he's got this, he's, 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 you know, heaven must have some kind of big uh, uh, ranch. Because all of these people are going to be on white steeds, and they're going to be on, in, in white linen, and they're going to follow Jesus out to do what? To judge. <coughs> Excuse me. You know who those folks are on those white steeds? You. We're the church. We're the ones in heaven with you. I am jacked up about that white steed. Yeehaw, God, let's go. Now, hear me. When he comes this time, though, it's going to be a lot different. It's not going to be casual. It's not going to be humble. It's going to be bold and bodacious. His first coming, he came veiled in the form of a child. His second coming, he's going to be recognized by all. First coming, he, the, 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 the star marked his arrival. The second coming, heaven's going to be lit by all of his glory. The first arrival, the wise men and the shepherds, they brought him gifts and adoration. Second coming, he's going to bring his people gifts and he's going to reward his own. The first coming, there was absolutely no room in the inn for him and his family to stay. When he comes again, the world will not be able to contain the glory of God that comes forth. First time he came, there was a few shepherds and then some, some wise men came later. There is a few animals around. Hear me, the second time he comes, every eye will see it. CNN, NBC, CSNBC, Fox News, ABC, NBC, the, the cable stations. This is going to be bigger than big. It's going to be covered by all. And it literally says that every eye is going to see it. It's big. It's bold. It's bodacious. came as a baby. Now he's going to come as the sovereign king and lord. He came humbly. Now he's going to come conquering and in judgment. That's the second coming. Bottom line is Christmas coming. Don't think Scrooge here. But I want to just kind of backtrack a little bit where we started. Kind of laughed about Sally and Sam their presence given, how the disciplines kind of break down during the spirit and love of the season. It's appropriate and exciting to give and to give sacrificially because we know it will cost us. But guess what? It's worth it. Can I just tell you, heaven looks down right now and they've got to look down. It cost Mary, it cost Joseph, the triune Godhead. Christmas was expensive, but I guarantee you they looked down on it because they see you. 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 They see you.
And you and I, we give a gift here, we give a gift there, take care of a cat here. Why? Because love makes you feel. That's exactly why God paid the price. Because love does a crazy thing. And maybe for today, some of you, the first time is simply this, that you need to receive God's Christmas gift to you, His Son, Jesus Christ. He paid the price. The triune God paid the price. You simply need to receive the gift of Jesus Christ. We're going to do two things after I pray. I want to pray for people this morning as we head into Christmas. Maybe you have never received the gift of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say a simple prayer, and if in your heart that just resonates, and you can just say something like that, God, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I want to experience this gift. I receive you today. Something like that, but it's in your heart. And just take your program out and mark on your slip today that you accepted Christ. You begin to experience the truth. Maybe some of you have been kind of away from God for a while. You've kind of been moving on your own track. Wanted to go your own way because God's way is a little bit tougher. You didn't understand it. He's calling you back today. You just simply recommit today. Say a simple prayer that says, God, you're coming back. You know what he's going to do? Yes. I love that. That's who's paying attention. Sweetie, this is what's going to happen. He's going to go welcome home. I've been here all along.